In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with a couple of gentlemen from a new company called Entheogen Biotech, Mr. Anthony Bailey and Dr. Vangelis Mitsis. Anthony, can you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Anthony Bailey. Um, I think it's fair to say I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started out, uh, I kind of started my whole venture into psilocybin with cannabis. I was in the cannabis space involved in Jamaica. Um, and from there, it led me to, uh, I met my partner, Vangelis, in, I believe, at a conference in Prague, we met. And then again, in Spanibus, because he's actually, he lived in Spain at the time. And he was the one who informed me, uh, he's, he's very good at plant extraction. Um, but he had, he had also ex- ex- explained to me that uh, psilocybin was legal in Jamaica. So with that being said, uh, he wanted to he wanted to pretty much learn from our mistakes in the cannabis industry, where we we, we so we focused on kind of breeding and production of compounds to um, production of a uh, production of the compound like the active, the active ingredients, so psilocybin and psilocybin. So that led us down this kind of rabbit hole of of uh, breeding. We started with about fourteen or fifteen kind of different spores and liquid cultures. And then we we just started breeding different um, different uh, I guess would be adding different alkaloids and kind of um, chemicals to them to to the varieties of mushrooms to produce higher tryptamine contents uh, for each kind of strain we had. Some of them have uh, higher psilocybin. Some of them had higher psilocine kind of onset. So we knew the ones that were higher in psilocine; those are probably better for. Uh, you know, a quicker onset. And then as well as that, that led us to kind of the plant extraction because V was kind of in that world. Um, so he was learning how to uh, extract the psilocybin, turn it into psilocine kind of thing. And then from there in the whole breeding process, we stumbled upon the um, a, a variety of mycelium 
that uh, was able to produce psilocybin, and we we repli- we we grew it in the in the bioreactor. So essentially, allowing us to produce a uh, produce psilocybin in a clean, uh, sterile condition that was highly repetitable and highly scalable. So what that allowed us to do is essentially create an active pharmaceutical ingredient, like in the bioreactor because it's it's clean it's sterile it's completely different than growing mushrooms in, in like the traditional way that's grown uh and, and as well as a lot quicker so in in one week in one week we were able to um produce psilocybin versus the traditional kind of eight week life cycle six to eight week life cycle that that it has to, to produce psilocybin and in the uh clean clean sterile conditions so we're we're pretty proud of that what we we I don't know if we were aiming to discover this my, this strain of mycelium. I think we were more looking to breed the most potent mushrooms so that we can have the highest yield of active compounds to then be able to create uh, doses and stuff for people at a, a lower cost. Because right now, mushrooms that are out there uh, would be probably about 0.6% tryptamine content, maybe 1% if you're lucky for what you're going to be purchasing on the streets and purchasing from any spore bank for the most part. So our, our kind of objective was to, uh, you know, separate ourselves from the competition, which was one, um, having val- validating what we had. So all of the strains we had, we validated them by getting them tested. So we actually know how much tryptamine is in it. It's not like, because uh, we, even we seen it, we bought Golden Teacher from one, one spore provider, you buy it from another spore provider, and it's two, they're two different highs, right? So you can't really accurately microdose yourself or accurately dose a patient to really do anything ethical um, study-wise or anything if there's no consistency. So that's really what we're aiming for, a level of consistency. Uh, v, I don't know if you could, you heard anything, but I don't know if you have any Yes, yes, yes. I hear you, and I'd like to emphasize this, that uh, crop per crop, the same strain uh, with a, a small difference in parameter, it gives different level of tryptamine, and like this cannot be stabilized the production. This is was our initial scope. For this, we start to work with the bioreactor. For sure, took us longer to arrive to, arrive, to have a goal because we wish to create an organism adapt to grow a fungus in the bioreactor. But after a certain period, uh, uh, we are seeing, and this is uh, the unique, I believe, of our approach. Like this, we can deliver in faster uh, period, uh, stabilized compound for analytical standard, and eventually in the future for clinical trial. It's Dr. V. I have a question for you. What, how is it possible, like, how can you make sure that one strain that you grow in the bioreactor has a consistent amount of tryptamines? It's almost like it's a clone, but it seems to me that, I don't know a whole lot about the growing process, but it seems amazing to me that you could get a consistent batch of mushrooms to produce a consistent amount of tryptamines. How do you do that? It's the circle of life of fungus in this uh, type of cultivation. This type of, uh, of cultivation is a liquid cultivation that <clears throat> is a, it's for expansion of the mycelium. 
we in in our bread uh, strain we achieve to produce stable constant uh, tryptamine per ml. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot um, say openly the amount of uh, of tryptamine per ml because we are in talks with uh, various groups and it's under uh, no, uh, agreement of confidentiality. But uh, the final product that uh, come out is also product for dosable medicine for um, uh, for, from microdosing up to gram to the clearest pure uh, psilocybin that is the product and we have the capability to transform all this also to psilocybin. 99.8%. It's fascinating to think about. I, I'm curious, Anthony, maybe before we dive a little bit deeper, maybe you can um, talk about how you and uh, Dr. V came to, came to this, came to the same sort of uh, ideas about growing this company and starting this company. Um, I think I think it, it 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 was kind of organic. Me and V had a like pretty solid friendship uh, before. Like we have been in, I want to say like ten countries together across like from in the world, right? Like we've been to Israel, we went to Prague together, we went to Spain together, we went to Saint Vincent together, we've been to Jamaica together, we've been to I don't know countless countries together. And it, it just, our relationship kind of just grew organically, uh, uh, like as friends, like, and, and just went from there, really. I mean, we speak a daily, even during the pandemic and everything, and we just kept bouncing ideas off of each other and, and seeing, like, after the pandemic happened um, and we kind of left Jamaica, uh, we were, our next goal was to kind of figure out, okay, well, what do we do now? Like, we have all of these, these strains that we kind of build and building and putting together. So the next step was like just learning from what we knew about cannabis. I mean, you look at the market um, for, for psilocybin and there's no, I, I don't know of anybody or any company right now or any, even the dispensaries in Canada that you can openly go into in the gray market where you can go and say, hey, how much tryptamine content does this uh, this penis ivy have or this golden teacher or any, any strain in the store? They're going to give you they're going to BS you, right? It's kind of like right. just like in the beginning with the cannabis. It was just right. smells good, looks good, good weed, you know? So it's kind yeah. of the kind of take on the mushrooms right now. And we we wanted to do everything kind of data-driven because we just, just again, like learning from our experiences from the whole cannabis space. So we knew that there were certain things that added value and there were certain kind of gaps that were missing in like transparency and a level of a level of um, efficacy, you know, like for people yeah. who are consuming it and, and selling it. Like, there's no right now. There's no level of efficacy, in, in my opinion, personally. Like, yeah, okay, he might be a good mycologist and he's growing and everything, but if he's not telling you what's in there, then you might as well take it from anybody, right? You don't you don't really know what you're doing. You can't dose it accurately. You can't dose yourself consistently. You can't really heal. You know, like there's all these great healing properties from psilocybin, but I think with any 
medicine or anything like that, if you if you can't do it consistently, you're not going to get consistent results. And then it's, it's just all over the place. So that's that was really our, our, I think, approach in building out the company. It was first to do something that was data data kind of driven. We don't have any psychological background or, or anything like that, but we just knew that that the the level of efficacy that everything everybody was doing things in was uh, not there, and uh, not nothing against ketamine or uh, MDMA, but uh, we we were like, okay, well, we know why these are the chemical, these are the the psychedelics that a lot of companies are focusing on and running with because they're synthetic. You can create it just like Tylenol. So that was kind of the missing, the missing kind of leg there, right? So that's why. That's why us being able to produce a naturally occurring compound uh, like we're doing right now and consistently, I think is revolutionary and truly unique for like the people who are really, I mean, truly seeking that, uh, you know, plant-based medicine. I mean, that that this is psilocybin's in its truest form. And um, I think that there's a little bit of danger involved with taking ketamine as well. Uh, I think it's a high, much more addictive, more toxic than psilocybin. And I would say the same for MDMA. Like I think psilocybin is probably the least toxic drug you can take. So I think it's a positive alternative to any pharmaceutical drug or, you know, plant-based, plant-based medicine that people are taking currently. Um, it's just more mystic uh, approach also than a recreational drug in the, in, in the year, uh, the, the mushroom. Uh, all the, the all the movements in the past that they tried to use mushrooms, they couldn't use it as the contemporaneous drug that uh, just uh, uh, nominate Anthony. Plus, um, I'd like to return to the talk that we have before a little bit because we need to emphasize also the self life of the the compounds in the natural form, the, in mushroom, even dry mushroom very good concern. There is a certain period that are stable, the compound. We try uh, to surpass this, and for this we apply techniques of extraction and transformation naturally all the, the, the comp- from one compound to other to find. Uh, I mean, between the pro-drugs for the psilocybin and the psilocin, not just for the effect, for the earlier onset or the different um, um, pharmacokinetic approach that have the two compounds, but also um, for the self life and the conservation of uh, an API, an active pharmaceutical ingredient in time, for be used and for be able to to market, uh, position it also in the market. Because with a short and unstable self life, it's something with an issue. And this is one of the issues that have the natural compounds in contrast to the chemical. Uh, or our approach is to resolve these problematics that it's normal, it's, unfair, it's present in the natural compounds and treat them uh, under the pharmacopoeia to be able to to prescribe it as drugs eventually in the future. Yeah, Dr. V, I have I have a ton of questions for you, but I, the the sound quality is just it's just killing me on there. Uh, 
So I was. I was yeah, also, my accent because I'm Greek and a little bit like Latin of English because I'm more natural Italian and Spanish speaker. <laughs> it's, 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 but it's, it's, and I can tell that you have, like, I got a ton of questions that I would like to get into the whole analysis yeah. of it and understanding how you mm. isolate the different parts of it and stuff like that. But mm. I, I think the sound quality is going to be a problem. And so mm. it, I'll just, I'll continue to go forward, but it's just, I wish it was a little bit better, but I can try to work on it. I guess my next idea is, let me tell you why I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. I would agree with both Anthony and Dr. V that, you know, what we've seen over the last hundred years in, in uh, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals has been like this sort of gross negligence almost. It's just almost as taking advantage of people and unfortunately taking advantage of sick people. I'm not saying that there hasn't been a lot of great things that have come from medicine, but it seems to me that the placebo is almost effective as effective as some of the best selling drugs on the market right now. That's kind of a problem. And when we look at things like psilocybin or we look at things like ayahuasca, you could make the argument that these have been going through clinical trials for the last 400 years. They're obviously some of the safest, safest things out there. And what I see as a natural extension of that is guys like yourselves coming in here and hopefully being able to not only compete, but take a large share of a new sort of medicine that's coming out. I think that's exciting. And I think it's just goes to prove that, you know, people that, you know, doctors like Dr. V and, and serial entrepreneurs like Anthony, you guys can compete with the big money players. You know, it's it's sort of this idea of clinical trials that keeps people, the smaller guys out. But it seems to me we're moving into a world like cannabis. We're moving into a world like psilocybin where we're going to be able to not only compete but take some market share for there. Do you guys see yourself as sort of trailblazing a, a way for other people to follow behind you? Uh, I think I think definitely we're. Uh, Definitely trailblazing, and I think the fact that another thing that allows us to uh, to operate and work with such level, high level of flexibility, and even ourselves, like if we really wanted to, and we had enough capital, we could conduct clinical trials in Jamaica. Like it's no different mm. than selling cauliflower or broccoli. Like it's completely legal. So um, there's there's the ability to to compete with, like you said, this ability to compete with uh, publicly traded companies in a way that they're not doing. And I think we're thinking outside of the box. I, when I look at the publicly traded companies, it seems like they're all kind of chasing the same, the yeah. same thing. Like they're not, uh, nobody's, I, there's not one publicly traded company. What we discovered and just saying, okay, these are our strains of mushroom and testing them. I don't, it didn't, if we can do it, I don't see why a company that's funded with hundreds of millions of dollars can't do it. We literally, uh, V's got connections with the University of Athens and different universities around Europe. We use their Q, we use their Q NMR machines. We use their HPLC machines, paid for lab time, tested all of our stuff and just did it as R&D. So I, I don't see why they can't do it as well. And right. are, are also, really, oh, ahead, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that with the years, uh, we are more um, realistic in, uh, in what we, we target because we have a long experience in R&D, also from the cannabis sector. Uh, more uh, <laughs> in lighting, uh, I can say that before 10 years, I was more dreamer. And it was the period uh, also from 2018 that we act together with Anthony 
that we base and we obtain a patent in uh, uh, cannabinoid acid, in ester, a form of cannabinoid acid, a new chemical molecular of cannabis that have miraculous results in cancer uh, cells line and in the animal model that we tested. But we need so big fun for move on the trials that was even wrong that we invest capital and we do studies five years to create these molecules. In contrast, in mushrooms, having all this background and all this experience, we, as said before, we, we don't have a um, psychologist in the team right now. We cannot um, run clinical trials. But same time, we are very strong in laboratory of testing, isolate, transform the compounds from one form to the other and be able to deliver in the market. This is the difference of the group of today, of the R&D group of the past. I respond in two questions together. How it's long the relationship that I have in Anthony in the years, uh, because we are connected with patents in cannabis and uh, long history in R&D, and how we see now all the, the competition, because I believe that they care to see in QNMR how it's the natural psilocybin in contrast with the synthetic psilocybin, if they take for drug or for the drug from the psilocybin, and to see how they bind in the receptor. I believe even the, the competition, the big pharma, it's in, in, in position of synergy right now, because now starting it's us, was kind of this 15 years before the second My opinion. Let me ask you this. What, like, what is the difference, do you think? Like, if a, let's say a, a, a firm or a, a company can just create for ACO DMT or some sort of synthetic, some, some synthetic mm -hmm. psilocybin. Why is, is that, is that worse, better than, or equal to taking mushrooms? Uh, check. Taking mushroom, it's not dosable. Taking mushroom can be a sacred experience inside in Amazon or a recreational approach. For treatment, it should be dosable. Now, right now, honestly, I cannot respond to you. I can respond to you with uh, another example from another uh, psychoactive ambient. Cannabinoid that we know that there is big difference in the action, uh, uh, how they bind the receptors, the natural cannabinoid with the chemical cannabinoid. The synthetic forms of THC have different effects as the natural compounds. And after, need a lot of, <laughs> how to say, avoid the proverbs. Let's say that we need more studies for be sure and respond to you what is better working in the humans because it's one, the model that we do in the computer or the, the, the experiments that we set up with uh, 
looking how they bind the receptor from outside. Yeah. Different the animal models, different to arrive in human. And also, humans with problematics, with mainly the psychedelic and the psilocybin, the psilocin is for patients that they have psychological disorders are very fragile, the state of this person for very experimentation. We need to to make secure steps when we'll arrive to work with people like this. For help then, eh? not create them more problematic. Because still now the trials that it's running are, have very significant and very good results. With psilocybin, all the trials that we are looking for, for the addiction with alcoholism or um, depression, uh, very, very positive and promising results for keep going the trial. Test the dosing, yeah, test the purity of the compounds. Yeah, I'm, like it seems to me like you guys have done quite a bit of research on finding different strains too. When I was reading through the the uh, bio that you guys had sent, you have a pretty deep drawer, man. You got a pretty big library of different strains. How many strains have you guys found in there? Or do you have cataloged? Um, uh, we have over a hundred different strains of psilocybin, but I mean, there's really only probably like. 10 to 12 that we'll end up using as far as I'm, I think I sent you the test results as well so you can see a lot yeah. of them are pretty close in range as far as terpamine content so there's some that are more unique that have a higher um, higher amount of like psilocine which I think is unique because uh, that's like the active right away compound that will have a quicker onset for, for patients um, but I mean of the hundred in the library there's probably only gonna we're probably only gonna be using like 10 to 15, 20 at most. I don't think we're going to be using them all, but I mean, it's just how quickly you can breed them and how quickly the mushrooms reproduce. We could cross and breed much more strains than we could ever in our, <laughs> in our wildest dreams in two years with cannabis. Yeah. It seems interesting to me. I was, I was recently talking with a, with a gentleman who's, they, they've done something interesting. They've created the, uh, this, compound called psilomethoxin. And what they have done is they've, they've taken the 5-MeO-DMT and they fed it to the mushrooms. And now the mushroom begins to produce that 5-MeO-DMT. So I'm beginning to see these new ways of cultivating. But, I, you know, I have to agree with Dr. V that I, and, and this is my opinion, I believe that there's something to be said about the organic process that follows through with the treatment. You know, when I think when you take an organic product, you have an organic treatment. Once we begin moving into this idea of, you know, creating or adding a molecule here or, you know, you know, putting something into the cleavage site or something like that, they start making these monsters that may or may not have bad long-term side effects that we don't know about. But I, I am curious to get your opinion on, you guys have both, both worked with cannabis in the past. Do you see maybe the future of psilocybin shaping up the way that cannabis did? Are there some pitfalls that we should be aware of? Mm. Uh, 
I think I think the biggest thing is just like um, just like any kind of rush, right? Just like there was a green rush for cannabis. I think with this whole renaissance for psychedelics, you're gonna find people who are genuine, genuinely pros at what they do, and there's gonna be genuinely cons at what they're doing. So <laughs> some people are gonna be selling you snake oil, which I'll be honest, like I know that psilocybin has great effects and can can be used and used to to you know create a wide wide uh, to help in to help create um, treatments for a wide range of mental illness. But I think the the biggest thing is some people are just treating it like snake oil, right? Like it's you know it, it's it can fix everything and it can do this and it can do that. And half the people talking, like I mean, perfect example is all of these studies that we're speaking of, like. John Hopkins, all of these guys, I, I, all the papers I've read, none of them really mention the overall tryptamine content of the mushrooms that they're feeding the patients. So there's still like a level, a level that's kind of uh, just missing there in, in data to, for it to be fully data driven. So I think that's, um, that's kind of one, one way we will uh, like not change the game, but just separate ourselves from the competition and create like a, a new new standard, I think. I like the idea of new standards. I, I think that there's ways uh, – I would like to see, and this may be a pie-in-the-sky idea, but I think it's possible to um, decentralize the clinical trial process the same way we see this world of decentralization happening in money and the same way we see this decentralized sort of government taking place. I think that the same thing can happen for clinical trials. And I think what you guys are doing can be a big part of that. There's no reason why we couldn't crowdfund a clinical trial. There's no reason why we couldn't crowdsource a clinical trial and have, you know, you could have your, say your psychologist, you could have Dr. V in Greece or Jamaica, and then you could have a team of other people throughout the world. And maybe instead of having a patient in a clinical trial, in a clinical setting, you know, you could have a, uh, surveys done where you know have a large scale survey and i think you would get i think that the information you would get from a, a trial like that would be surprisingly accurate in in what it's forecasting or what it's unable to do but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys are moving forward on and you know when i when i look at some of the similarities between the green rush like you said and what's shaping up here with this psilocybin rush I'm wondering if you guys have have begun to see any new sort of things happening. Like, you know, are we gonna are we gonna start seeing extracts like 4x and 2x? You know, you start seeing these gummies come out. What do you guys see? Or do you do you have any ideas of what might be moving in the future right there? I think all the same things we saw in in cannabis, right? People are gonna be chasing the. Uh, the extracts, the concentrates, the gummy, like they're all there right now. I see vapes. Well, D not, I haven't seen any psilocybin vapes. I'm not sure if it's possible, mm -hmm. but I've seen DMT vapes. I've seen uh, people try and make psilocybin edibles. There's tons of chocolates and teas and different yeah. things that you can get uh, that are out there. But, um, but I don't know. The, the only thing I haven't really seen is any uh, psilocybin suppositories, which I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think, you, you would think that would the last hype that we saw it was DMT vape in the UK that impressed me. And I believe that all these are also um, uh, psychiatric medicines that uh, the abuse of uh, these compounds can create psychosis. I need to be full um, with. 
We have also workers in here, the sound. We can create psychosis if we abuse them. And also, um, we return again in the same problematic that had cannabis, the, the illegal extraction, the adulterants that they put inside, that can create, from there, start to create the problematic in the, in the population, plus the, the um, abuse of the compound. Mm. That means this that we nominate now, the, the DMT vape, what the rest of solvents have inside, except that circuses can create if you over uh, use it. Maybe have the same bad effect for the lungs that have uh, very bad vapes in the time from China that create problems of the state the last three years. And we have this. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing is just the unknown. But I definitely think that people are gonna people are gonna push the boundaries and do everything they can do. Like I said, man, I think you know you're gonna be seeing every every and any product you've seen come out of cannabis. I think you'll see a, a psychedelic product as well. Um, and people are just testing the marketing, seeing what sticks and what doesn't really stick because it's all pretty new. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who who want to get into the space and. There's um, uh, in the U.S. There's all these jurisdictions where it's opening up. In Canada, it's much more. Uh, they're pretty lean back. I don't think they're really looking or doing anything. The people growing psilocybin and that's coast to coast. Um, whereas the U.S. It's much more like geographic. California, Oregon, Cal Colorado, um, and then you have places like Mexico, Brazil, Jamaica, Samoa, where it's just completely free for all. You know, do 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 what you want to do. Um, so I think that that'll be it'll be interesting how how I think I, I personally am a strong believer in Jamaica and the brand of Jamaica. And I I appreciate what we can do there. And uh, we, we don't have our hands tied. So it, it it's allowed us to even get to where we are right now, because I don't think that being in Canada, we would have been able to operate the way we have been so openly and um and do and, and and do these kind of things and and make the announcements publicly and like you know just put ourselves out in the front page of what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve and looking for collaboration and investors like we couldn't. We I'd couldn't... like to give a small example in this that you say now, Anthony, about the last work that we've done uh, for the new way of metrics of uh, uh, tryptamine compounds with the QNMR. The, 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 the idea was initially from the University of Athens, but missing license of, uh, of uh, uh, psychedelics. And like this, we collaborate with the Canada University, ran the test there, that the guys in Canada, they didn't know to read them, to return the fuzzy in, in Athens, for make the presentation in the Congress. Same time now in Jamaica, we are in talks with the university, and we're going to run infinity samples and presentation and paper about psychedelic mushrooms. This capability comes with the synergy that we have here in Jamaica with the government, with the with the universities, plus the private sector. In this case, our company. 
Yeah, I think I think for the private sector in Jamaica too, there's there's big companies there like Compass and uh, uh, I think Berkeley's is there as well. Uh, there's Awake. There's all these retreats and things that are there right now mm-hmm. um, happening. Right. So I think it's also a, another good position for us to be in a place like that because what separates one retreat from the other uh, could be purchasing from us and knowing that you know you 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 know there's a level of consistency in what you're providing these patients or your your clients who come to your retreats. Um, so I think that'll be pretty interesting to see. And then I know Berkeley's is running, they have their studies and clinical trials. So I think it'll be nice. I think where we're, we're positioned is in a right place to collaborate with some of these guys and, you know, show them what we had, uh, what we have and show them that there's a, there's a, a better approach to, I guess, the psilocybin that they've been giving to people and testing to people, giving people. So we can show them that everything we have is, is, database more ethical transparency so you know you can give this golden teachers to your to your patients or you can give them the golden teacher that you don't know the tryptamine content and you'll have no consistency or even pure compounds uh, we, we concentrate uh, uh, from the mushroom we analyze and we can deliver as much uh, they want for their trial 10MZ, 15MZ, 20MZ, depends how it's their program with their doctor. Yeah. It's not problem. Also, pro-drug, you want to, to subministrate pro-drug and have an all the reaction in the stomach, or you want easier and quicker on set and um, subministrate the drug. Plus, yeah. uh, this is new, it's the first time we say it in the on-air, we book the... The tryptamines are four, but one is not active. And we, we have a variety that has high concentration. And we'd like to find a synergy because we managed to isolate it to see how working trials, because yeah. can buy the receptor, can give results in the patient without the high. But honestly, without trials, we cannot respond to you. Sure, we have gained the compound for synergy to give it uh, to a third sort party. Yeah, so I think to to V's point is what we're looking to really do is explore all... I believe, V, correct me if there's wrong, but I think there's four major compounds in psilocybin. Yes. Psychoactive, two are non-psychoactive. So we're also looking to explore with some of the non-psychoactive compounds that are in psychedelic mushrooms to see what effects those will have on people as well. And and we're also looking to grow non-psychedelic mushrooms as well, uh, Reiki, Lion's Mate, all those popular ones as well. But I mean, I think right, right now our main focus has been on the psychedelics just because it's just market trends, um, what's kind of trending right now, what's, you know, picking up traction. And and so that's kind of where we're, we're looking at that right now. But I think definitely we're going to be exploring compounds in psychedelic mushrooms, non-psychedelic mushrooms, and as well as really, like V said, we want to see what is the effect of the non-psychedelic compounds that are in these psychedelic mushrooms, right? Like, do they have enough, do they play a role in this whole experience that people are having? Can we, can we give people some of these um, effects that they're having for psilocybin without psilocybin and and psilocybin? So that's kind of our next kind of um, rabbit hole we want to dive into. And like like you said, uh, it's it's can be easily crowdfunded. We're in Jamaica. It's uh, running surveys and stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of university kids, tourists who are coming to the island, even if they're there for a week or two weeks. We can all the data is good data. The more data we have, yeah. it's better, right? So 
I think the possibilities are endless as far as that goes. Yeah, I want to. Um, I, since you were talking, like, first off, I'm stoked on you and Dr. V for being here, and, and I, I really enjoy listening to what you guys have planned for the future. And I am psyched on psychedelics for the future, but I, I think. Jamaica has an incredible opportunity. And here's what I've been thinking about that I don't think anybody else is thinking about. You know, when you go to, when you think about grapes and think about wine, if you want to get champagne, you can only get champagne from France. If you want to get Prosecco, it has to be Italy. If you want to get uh, tequila, it has to be a certain region of Mexico. You know, I think that Jamaica is uniquely set up to have a certain strain of mushrooms or a certain brand of mushrooms, like champagne, like a certain grape has champagne. I'm yeah, like a terroir, like we want to create like a terroir here, kind of, of like mushrooms. And I think there is a local, there is a local variety of mushrooms that grow, I think, between like Cuba, um, island of Hispaniola, Dominican and Haiti and Jamaica. So there is there is like a local right variety of mushrooms that grows there. Um I think we we do have some of it. It's not very potent, but I definitely I definitely think there's a, a possibility to to do that, you know, for people who want to have mushrooms that are indigenous to that region. So I think there's there's I, and I also think that ma majority of the psychedelic mushrooms are going to be more um mostly found in like more tropical climates as far as that goes i mean there's psychedelics you can find in oregon and stuff but i believe that more varieties are found across like the, the kind of equatorial equator belt around there so in like yeah. central america the caribbean i would imagine even like asia must have some some good ones and in india as well of course so yeah i definitely think that that's a possibility it's, well, for uh, a liquid culture for ecologic purpose, we have all the local varieties because we collaborate also with uh, a local uh, department. But honestly speaking, to emphasize with what Anthony is saying, here, yes, are psychedelic, but certainly it's not the same psychedelic as Oh, we lost him. But I think what he's going to say is it's not the same psychedelics as what people are used to in North America. They're much more potent. Like the the exactly the, yeah. the psychedelics that people are buying and taking already in Canada and in the U.S. is this would be a microdose. Like the the indigenous mushrooms that grow in Jamaica would be like good for microdosing, and that's about it. Not a eagle trip or a heavy trip or anything like that. It'll just be good for microdosing. And I I definitely think there's. There's something to be explored there as far as, you know, Jamaica having its own terroir around yeah. uh, around psilocybin because I wanted to introduce that and have that for cannabis. Um, but I, yeah. I, it's, it's a good brand. I think I, I don't see why not. I think there's countries that can definitely have that that claim stake to it. Um, right. It's just, I guess, who will be the front runner of that? Yeah, and I, I think that's a whole different form of you know, branding and, and, and crowdsourcing. And it's, 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 it's analogous in a way though, because you have alcohol that you need to sterilize everything with. You have different levels of alcohol that do different things. You know, and I, Dr. Fee, I got a question for you. Do you think that, and I know that none of us are psychiatrists and, and we're just kind of spitballing here, but in my mind, I'm wondering if maybe different strains of mushrooms or different levels of psilocybin we may find out these different levels or different strains treat different ailments. Is that, is that something that could possibly happen? 
if he, he might have lost. I don't him. know if he heard you or if he's, yeah. there, if he's there. But I think. Yeah. Uh, what do you I, think, I, Anthony? I think for for I don't know if it's different strains in particular. I think it's strictly the compound okay. and strictly the amount of the compound the patient's taking, probably based on their their illness and maybe body weight would have something to do with it. I know like for a lethal dose of psilocybin, your body weight has something to do with it. Uh, as far as the medicinal purposes, I, I definitely I don't I don't think the strains have much to do with it. I think it's more the compounds that are in there. And then, like I said, it could be as well as you, you, you might have a point for certain things because of the four compounds that are in psilocybin, one of the four might be higher in a different variety than, than right. another. And maybe that non-psychoactive compound has some medicinal effects that we don't, we don't know about, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't know enough to kind of say yeah. uh, yes or no, but I think my, my opinion on it right now is just based on the study that I've seen, it's mostly all the studies have been psilocybin, this this many MGs of pure psilocybin, 20, 10, 30 to treat an ailment. So I don't know if there's um if there's really like certain strains that are good for certain things. But I think it would be interesting in seeing, like I said before, the other there is I believe also the relationship between the lack of data that was in the past. In the nature, there is trains that uh, some of them have more psilocin than psilocybin, and vice versa. Mm. These have different in the effect. Some strains have longer uh, onset. Uh, you feel the high uh, later, but is longer the duration. Other strains have very quick onset because contain more psilocin in contrast of psilocybin and mm -hmm. uh, um, look stronger because the effect comes quicker. All this confuse what we know till today, I believe, and now start the... the, 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 the um, the true R&D and the examination strain by strain, the, the, the percentual, the, the potency, and eventually how should be used. But honestly speaking, I don't believe that we use at the end strains, but clean compounds for medicinal purposes. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. It's I've, I've been often wondering lately, like, you know, when let's say you take a moderate dose, say like five grams or even three and a half grams, you know, the, the, it seems to me the way in which psilocybin works is that it comes in these waves, but much like Dr. V was saying, sometimes the interval between waves is shorter. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's stronger. Sometimes it's weaker. And it's that particular method of action that makes me curious about the interaction of different kind of compounds. Or, you know, it's it's interesting to think that if you if you stack compounds, maybe that duration of wave is shorter, maybe the height or frequency of the waves is is more intense. But I think that's something really worthy of research, at least that I'm looking into in the future, is you know, and, and might it be possible to look at oceanography to see how a wave breaks in the ocean? Is that the same way? that the wave hits us when we're taking psilocybin. It's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but you know, I think that there's like, that's what trips me out, Anthony and Dr. V is 
what is making the duration of the waves? What is increasing the intensity of the waves? Because I think that that has to be, if, if we just take, if I take 4-ACOD, 4-ACODMT, and then I take a penis envy one day, and then I take a blue meanie another day, you know. Trust me, it's more confusing from what you nominate. Why? Because even if you start uh, change the nutrients in the medium, change also the same strain in potency from crop to crop. If, if change the parameters of, uh, of uh, humidity in the growth center, change the percentile of secondary metabolites. For this reason, the same variety, let's go in something familiar, the Liberty Cup in UK, from terroir to terroir, it's different the potency. For, it's yeah. nice for, 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 how to say, for recreational purpose, all this story, all this drama. But it's not a useful tool for medicinal purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind. We have we have a uh, we have a guest that asks this question. Let me put it up so people can see. This comes from Benjamin George. Uh, MAOIs definitely impact the waves in duration. That that would be the. Uh, I think that I think that they we take some. Sometimes in ayahuasca, they take an MAO inhibitor. So I guess that would be a protein that stops the, the waves or duration is what he's saying. Any, any thoughts on that? I, I believe the Maori in ayahuasca have to do with activation to fulfill the compounds. I'm not so familiar with ayahuasca. But from what I read, it works like this, the two compounds. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's what. Um, let me ask you this, Anthony. What what are you most excited about for the future of psychedelics and entheogens in the in the upcoming year? I think I'm 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 excited for the studies, more research, more data. I think that's really what I'm looking forward to. Um, legislations opening up and more people just taking a, a new kind of outlook on it it's not just uh it's not just uh like a hippie drug you know like i think it right. has benefits uh deeper and well beyond what the general public perceives it to be i think it's just a matter of us kind of unlocking it and using these kind of natural tools to naturally heal ourselves instead of what we've been doing, which is like process and preservatives and synthetics and all of these things. So I think it's just to stay, take, a, take, a, take a step back and uh, start some, um, I'm big on the natural compounds, so I'm not gonna you know, deny that. So I think that's what I'm most excited for, what the, the, break, the breakthroughs that we'll have in more of these natural compounds as, as far as uh, the psilocybin goes. And I think that, that um, COVID was a blessing and a curse because I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes to how, and for a lack of a better terms, we, uh, how fucked up we are. You know, you, you were <laughs> trapped, you're trapped in this box, like by yourself or with your significant other or with your kids or with whatever. And you, you, you didn't have the necessary vices or ability to go outside or just escape these, these things. So then you're kind of just 
there by yourself, either by yourself or with your family. And then like all these kind of things just start opening. Like you just open Pandora's box and you realize, okay, maybe I'm a little stressed or I have OCD or I suffer from anxiety or like all, all these little things, just people just started kind of opening up the door and understanding and realizing more. And I think that now there's a much more uh, today, I think even to like today versus post like pre COVID uh, post-COVID, like, well, I don't think we're post-COVID, I'm still kind of in it, but uh, I think, like, now there's a much more acceptance to, like, mental health, um, mental illness, and these things are much more talked about. I think that, like, uh, I don't know about in the States so much, but I know we have, like, mental illness day and week in Canada and all these things, so it's much more mainstream and uh, the, the whole the whole kind of wellness, like, just healthy healthy like physically mentally spiritually you know i think that's kind of a big big thing right now yeah i like that i I agree i think that in a lot of ways covid was a blessing i think it it allowed us it allowed us to take a, a little break and look at who we are and what we're doing and if we like who we are and if we like what we're doing and i think a lot of people found out they didn't really love who they were and they didn't love what they were doing and it's yep. interesting because the same thing happens on a, on a psychedelic experience. You know, a lot of people have a psychedelic experience where they look inward and they say, you know what, I don't like this about me or I don't like the way I'm stressed out about this. And I, I think it would be a fascinating survey to see people who have spent time with entheogens and psychedelics, what their thoughts were on the COVID and, and what they've done about it. But it's, it's interesting. It's a fascinating time to, to be alive and. You know, on another idea of legislation in psychedelics, in Colorado, it seems to me that while the legislation has been a big boon for a lot of people, it also seems to be pushing out some of the smaller people and making room for the pharmaceutical industries. I'm wondering what you think, if that is a not, is that is something else that could happen, or is that just like a natural progression of, of legalization? You think the same thing could happen to psilocybin? Yeah, I think I think the same thing will happen with well, I think much more than cannabis, it'll happen with psilocybin. Pharma companies wanting to step in. As much as I'm a big cannabis advocate, I think that there are medicinal properties to cannabis. Don't get me wrong, but I think for across the kind of mainstream broad range, most people are taking it recreationally, right. maybe therapeutically. No different than you, you know, like for instance, like I always tell people in Jamaica, they're like, well, it's is it medical or what is it? It's therapeutic. Like you can come into you can come into a dispensary in Jamaica and if you just have a significant other that's enough reason to get a, a, a <laughs> cannabis right like most people for if you if you have a reason to have a beer or smoke a cigarette uh you can probably get a prescription for cannabis in jamaica right there there's there's um there's that kind of aspect of it so i think that um it'll be It'll be kind of interesting what what happens going forward with the the psychedelics and what happens there in that realm. I believe because it's a different type of experience between to smoke a joint than take one dose of psychedelic mushroom. Are time depending also the intense of the experience. That I believe that uh, the audience, even with for recreational purpose will be more um, different audience, uh, a little bit more um, um, with knowing what they are doing because they dedicate in four or five hours of intense guide. It's a, it's a little bit uh, 
like the edibles in cannabis. Certainly, uh, we risk the same problematic that have edibles in cannabis yeah. for accidents uh, from small children or for people that uh, have professions that they run tests and accidentally they can fail in a test in the world. Uh, start another ethic how we need to deal and approach dispensaries with mushrooms. And I think also too with the a big difference between the like the psychedelics versus cannabis is there are countless studies happening around psychedelics. Like I think there's like a hundred over a hundred happening currently, and maybe like three or four hundred in the pipeline. I don't think there was ever this much interest in like actually studying cannabis, learning about it, learning all the the, the cannabinoids and all this kind of things. There's much more. Um, institutional money going into it government money going into it from and this is and it's more global i think too whereas cannabis was kind of isolated in little pockets you had like the guys were doing what they were doing in california you had some guys doing it in canada you had some guys in holland whereas like when i read about the psilocybin is it's like happening all over there's companies in israel there's companies in the uk there's companies in netherlands there's companies in just every almost every jurisdiction every continent something's happening whether it's a company doing it or the government's looking to reform or put some studies in or looking to legalize it or there, there's much more talks about it. And, and don't get me wrong, I think cannabis helped grandfather and have a lot of these conversations yeah. for these legislations, right? So it's like cannabis maybe paved the way a little bit to uh, help people help people um, digest it. Because I think definitely definitely cannabis is an easier pill to swallow than say, hey, like I'm going to go take LSD. Like, you know, somebody thinks LSD, they think like, okay, like this guy is going to be tripping forever. And uh, whereas cannabis, okay, he smokes a joint, he just eats the whole fridge out. But LSD, you know, like, I'm sure we've all heard crazy stories. And like, they can all induce psychosis, and they'll have like their negative side effects. But I definitely think that that psilocybin, like the, the not even just psilocybin, but psychedelics in general, will be bigger because there's more studies conducted on it in the past, present, and I and I from what I can see coming in the future, there's more studies than I ever heard of in cannabis. Yeah. I, I think that money is a giant issue. And I, I've seen the way in which they're slow rolling out legislation, at least in my opinion, to to maximize and then to maximize profits and find a way for the big farmer to kind of wrap their arms around it as a, as a whole. And I'm wondering if, you know, in, in my darker moments, it seems to me that if the biggest pharmaceutical companies are unable to fully wrap the tentacles around it, I think you could see something like the sixties happen again. I think you could see a Jonestown or a Manton or some sort of reason avail itself where they shut everything down. It's sort of like, I'm going to take my ball and go home if we can't control it. You know, and I'm wondering if if you guys see any sort of, you know, even if they're hypothetical, some sort of giant things playing out if, if things don't go a certain way. Or do you see any sort of, of um, walls that could be up against? For the for the walls, I think definitely the the just the governments really. I mean, I think even totally. for the U.S., you guys got you guys don't even have cannabis legalized there or decriminalized even on a federal level. So I think a big a big the U.S. is a big global player in kind of global relations, global things, the the UN drug reforms and all these things. So I think 
whatever the U.S. does, kind of the rest of the world will follow. Um, and if if they'll be watching you guys pretty closely, I think other jurisdictions and other places. And a lot of that too, like to 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 another point is like the banking, right? That's a big thing. Right. Like you can't grow your company Huge. without good banking legislation. Right. But right now, psilocybin is a class one drug. Majority of companies, they're sorry, majority of countries, their biggest capital reserves are in US dollars. There's no way they're gonna bank a drug that's class one drug in that country and lose their all their reserve money or their access to like US markets because you're starting a little psilocybin or little ketamine company or whatever you're doing, right? Like these countries don't want to lose that relationship with with the U.S. and I can strongly and firmly say that with Jamaica, they don't want to lose that relationship with the U.S. I don't think Mexico wants to lose that relationship with the U.S. I don't think Brazil. I don't think any of these countries where psilocybin is completely legal. They do not want to jeopardize the relationship with the U.S. So, I think the legislation um, for the U.S. is like is a big thing in shaping what happens globally, just because of the the U.S. dollar having such a grip on the global economy. Right. Because it's not even it's not even to the point. It's not even about the legislation in your country. It could be completely legal in your country, but no bank wants to take your money because their their reserves are all in the U.S. And they just don't want to expose themselves to that level of risk. Right. And you have all these. What is it like uh, terrorist acts and anti-drug and narcotics, <laughs> and all these things like they'll. Yeah. Like I've had my accounts closed down in Jamaica for my cannabis company several times on just um, I forget what the they had. There's like a there's like a a thing they send you like a letter and it's literally that's what it is it's like you're they're pretty much anti-terrorist and anti-drug or money laundering and like all these kind of things they're afraid of right so i think big farmer will do whatever they can do to to like you said it's money everything's about money in this day yeah. and age it seems. so they will definitely do what they can do to prevent the growth and inhibit the growth or take control of the growth as best they can yeah, that seems to be the American way. You know, we, for better or for worse, they they tend to. If you got if if ever, what, what is the quote that says if you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor V, I'm wondering what, as someone who has uh, spent a lot of time, you know, in the medical community and doing research, and I know you don't speak for all doctors, but would you say there's a positive? Uh, aura around the world of psychedelics right now? I didn't hear all the questions. I hear myself, sorry. The signal, it wasn't good. Can you repeat, please? Sure. So I know you don't speak for all the doctors, but do you yes. think that maybe for all for, for some of your colleagues, what do you think that, is there a positive outlook for psychedelics in the future? Uh, I believe that uh, need time to mature. Right now, we are in the first steps that uh, some institution with some universities, they are interested to compute studies and they start to compute studies. It's like the very, very first years in cannabis. Uh, we need to mature all of us from this process and because Certainly, it's a solution for various problematics of a um, big part of, uh, of mental pathologies. I believe that my call is going to follow, but it's a discuss of time. 
if you you press it, uh, I believe it's not uh, uh, the right approach. Need studies, more studies, and more R&D. I believe that yeah. in mushrooms that we are. Say it again. Oh no! Please go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was saying that now all the companies are pioneers. Even the companies with the synthetic approach, even us and other companies that are trying to work with natural compounds. Now we rediscover what the salmon work with our ancestors uh, thousands of years. Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering about this, Dr. B. It seems to me that there are real risks for people who have mental illness and psychedelics, but there's a whole other class of people that may use psychedelics in a responsible way for other sort of problems. And it seems a divide in the medical community may be, how, how do we separate these groups? Do you think that maybe for people that have documented psych, documented mental problems, that maybe they should have to have a prescription or they should have to do it in a different way than someone that doesn't have a, a, a problem with depression? Or how, how do you think that we could separate the at-risk people from people that may not be at risk as much? It's a very, very long discourse of this. Uh, have in mind that I'm Greek. And uh, in the ancient uh, times in Greece, we have the Eleusinium Mysteries. Mysteries. Yeah. So, uh, I believe also healthy um, citizens need once per time, once in a lifetime, to have a psychedelic experience because you start to reevaluate different your ego or uh, but with a true word of ego not the ego of moda the, the this that say in the Asian group for ego yourself your inner self and the relationship that you have with the others around you and your position in the community and in the planet. And I believe that uh, for open these doors of perception, some of us need help. And this help or, or a vehicle, let's say it's better a vehicle, can be the psychedelics. Other, uh, for other people, can be the religion. Every individual is different, but I believe my approach, how I raised the, the friends that I have in school and in the university, I'm from this type of person that we believe in psychedelics. In the, uh, how they can contribute to the society. But it needs a lot of ethics forgive it in the society. It's a big tool. Even the, the secret of the Eleusinian mysteries, um, only the Sarcedot know about the lysergic acid and how to do the process. And it was a big scandal once that it skewed the secret 
en alquiviades de politician yuzit y mesiborsium inafen. When uh, some of these stories, it's a good example uh, to follow today. Yeah, I think that I, I wrote a book a while back, and in my book, I argued that we need a return of the Eleusinian mysteries. It seems to me that, you know, when you, in my mind, if I if I close my eyes and I imagine myself at a giant open theater where on one side of me, there is someone from the lowest class, and on someone on the right-hand side of me, there may be, you know, Elon Musk and together we're watching the birth and death of Persephone and Demeter and all of a sudden the daughter's gone and you know we 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 as a group collectively take in something that is a real tragedy it's like we as a group experience that tragedy together and then we come through that tragedy together and it's almost it's almost a type of language that is beyond words because we can experience something together and I think on a light dose of psychedelics or even a moderate dose of psychedelics, that's the same thing that's happening in a ceremonial setting. And that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of where a lot of thing is done. When we together are going through tragedies and solving those tragedies, that is the great equalizer in life. Because it doesn't matter your race, your religion, your age, your stature. Hey, we did this together. And we, yeah. that's something we can have forever. Like you'll never forget that experience. Yeah, I, I've actually read about a lot of um, um, indigenous uh, uh, First Nations people um, in the States as well as uh, in Canada. Like they would have the, that's what they would do. They would take either psilocybin, uh, I think ayahuasca as well, and they would go in the sweat lodge and they do it like as a community, whoever was the alcoholic. So like the tr troubled people in the community and they the healers would heal them. So I definitely think that there is... Um, there is something to the healing process as a community together with people versus just experiencing it by yourself. And to something you said earlier, I think maybe people that have psychosis, they maybe need to experience it by themselves with yeah. a psychiatric. And then maybe people who are less vulnerable or less thing, they can experience it in a communal kind of setting, something like that. But I mean, those are all things for us to explore and no better place in Jamaica to do it. <laughs> but I, I think that yeah. there's definitely definitely something there i think you definitely uh you know hit the hit the nail on the head there like i think there's people who have psychosis definitely can't take it in the same way that someone who doesn't and maybe there's something in taking a dosage in a communal kind of environment that can maybe enhance it so i agree i definitely agree with that yeah and you know it's it's interesting to think about if some in a group setting, if there is someone experienced there, if someone does begin to have a bad one, you know, you want that someone with experience to at least pull them out of there a little bit. But this brings me to an idea of retreats, which you guys said there's a bunch of them in Jamaica. You know, I've been reading some different accounts of people who are, you know, the idea of going to uh, Brazil, the idea of going to Jamaica, the idea of going to uh, a different place to experience or have this psychedelic experience in some ways seems a little bit obtuse to me because, you know, if I go to Brazil, like I'm not from Brazil, I don't speak Portuguese. Like, you know, how much am I missing the translation of what's actually happening? And some white guy from Caucasian acres over here, what do I know about what's going on down there? 
Am, am I missing out on some of the transformative information by going to this other culture and, you know, definitely getting an experience, but am I getting the experience that that doctor would give to somebody else? Cause I don't understand it. I, I'm wondering if things get lost in trends when people repeat from different cultures. What do you think? For sure. I think things definitely get lost in translation. It's, it's inevitable. I think, you know, there's such <laughs> different, uh, different yeah. uh, cultural, even me, I, I, I'm of Jamaican descent. I've been going to Jamaica my whole life. And there's certain things that I just can't, right. you know, if somebody tells you in Jamaica soon come, that could be five minutes or five hours. You don't know. Like, it's just, there's certain things that are just <laughs> not, not the same. So I, I, de I definitely hear that. And something I was thinking about is like uh, for people that are going on it, on a, on a, on a psychedelic, uh, you know, adventure or trip, I was looking into it and thinking, like, I think the whole um, metaverse and, like, the virtual reality could be something to standardize that. Like, if there was somebody who's, like, tech savvy, who works with a psychologist, who can be like, okay, this is, this is like, the visual effects and the sounds that said person needs to hear for four to six hours and, you know, like, and kind of standardize it or even, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what they can do, but I think that's something that that would be interesting to kind of keep the uh, – the I guess consi the environmental consistency for what the patient is going into because like you know I know some when you go to some retreats or you do some things they have they would have the um, they would have the patient blindfolded um, other people it's more communal everybody's holding hands and, and partaking together so I think that if the if we can have like some kind of virtual reality as a happy medium where somebody you know they say okay like this is kind of the traditional, traditional kind of traditional approach to having a shaman there or somebody to guide you through this trip. But we're modernizing it with, you know, this VR headset or this video that you're watching while you're taking this trip. I think that is something that could, could help, could help, um, could help the whole kind of industry um, to, to not only excel, but I think treat a lot more people because, it's exp it's expensive right now to treat to get to go and get like yeah. whether it's ketamine or whether it's psilocybin any psychedelic treatment to get assisted treatment is expensive and that'd be whether it's the shaman who says he's had taken people on a thousand trips they're gonna charge you two thousand dollars or if you go to one of these legitimate publicly traded companies it could be five thousand dollars you know like so it's it's really expensive it's not cheap at all so I think there's that's a real barrier of entry for yeah. from people. Uh, receiving the help that they need and could possibly want. So I think whoever whoever does something like that to standardize it or make it more accessible, more obtainable for people will be a big, big step. Yeah. In some ways, one of the things I love about, about uh, psychedelics or entheogens is that they're kind of hard to commercialize. You know, it's, it's in some ways that's a giant barrier for entry because if it costs $2,000 or $4,000, the people that might need the therapy the most probably don't have that kind of money to, or how are they going to get two weeks off to go somewhere? Or, you know, how are they going to yeah. get on this waiting list? And, you know, yeah, no, sometimes I, it's. I, I definitely, I hear you loud and clear. I'm right now, I'm, I'm in Vancouver and there's tons of people here that I think could benefit. Well, a lot of addic addiction here. So I think there's a yeah. ton of people here that exactly are in that box that you just said, you know, they can, benefit from it more than the guy who has ten thousand dollars to go on a retreat probably right. light years more than that guy but they're never gonna have 
one, two, three, four, five thousand dollars put aside to go and get help and go and get treatment. So, yeah, I think that that that's your your yeah, it's uh, it's true. It's it's a barrier of entry. Yeah, and I think, but you know, with with barriers of entries come shortcuts sometimes, and shortcuts aren't always good. But I, I think that this does pave the way for you know small. And, and I think that this is one of the one of the things that's happening is that people are trying to figure out the legislative branch as far as licensing. And this this gets us back into the people that may have you know serious mental illness. Like that person should probably go see a therapist before they do any kind of psychedelic. However, if if me, let's say me or you or somebody we know has been working with entheogens for 20 years, 25 years, and you have a friend at work that you've known for five years, and you know that this person just lost somebody. I think that, you know, being, having the access to psychedelics and allowing an individual who may not be a doctor, but has worked with a substance for quite some time, that person may not be a doctor, but they could definitely be a facilitator or a trip sitter. And they could probably get really good results with someone in their family, someone they care about, or a friend of a friend that they care about. And I think that that's kind of the great democratization of, of, of medicine coming. And I think entheogens are kind of showing us that. What do you, what, what's your take on, on maybe the, the experienced user helping out people in their direct circle? I think that's the only way that's, that's the only way to uh, for, for majority of people to kind of get access to uh, a guided trip, right? Like, cause who's going to pay $5,000, $3,000 to go and sit down with a psychologist who you might, you don't know, you don't trust, you maybe don't even want to open up to this person. Right? right. Right. So I think that, yeah, definitely. If you have somebody who can, who's a part of your network and a part of your, your circle of people that can help you um, indulge on one of these trips, I think that the trips that you, that's probably their, your best bet, your, your best bet right now. I think, um, there's going to be no majority of the people who need the help can't afford it. So that's the, really their only option, right? It's either that or reading Reddit posts forever, trying to find somebody to help <laughs> you. So I think, yeah, it's a, and even, even it's just, it's hard in general for people to come and say, Hey, like, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. Like yeah. I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling a little like, you know, suicidal or I'm just like, I, I have like this intense level of anxiety that I sweat every time I go to, I don't know, to public speaking or something like that. Like, you know, like I just think a lot of people think back to what we spoke about earlier. A lot of people wear like a mask, right? Like you, you have this mask on that you portray yourself to, to society. So it's kind of, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think society looks at mental health as, as a weakness, right? So people are scared to admit their weakness and their yeah. vulnerabilities. And that's, I, I think that's, I, I think I that's just, also another big hurdle, right? Like, is once the the general population has a different outlook and mindset on it, then maybe people, more people, will come forward, right? There's so many. I mean, I'm an ex-athlete, and I I got to meet yesterday. Oh man, Corey Helsher, I believe that's his name. He's a hockey player. He's a goalie who won the silver medal, and he suffered. He was like the first the first uh, NHL player to to admit that he was suicidal and like came out, had an article out and he had this article and he was, he told us it had like two, like two, three million hits on it. Like LeBron James kind of article. And he's just a, a regular NHL keeper. He's not like the best one out there. Like, well, like Wayne Gretzky of hockey. Right. But I think that it was so 
people were so um, it touched and reached so many people because he wasn't alone. There's I'm sure there's tons of athletes. You know, he's supposed to be this right. tough hockey player. He's supposed to be this tough football player that are that are suffering inside. But because you're the tough guy, you're you're on your NHL team. Another guy I know, Riley Colt. Kotia, he's a he's a NHL player, and I spoken to him various times, and he was like an enforcer. So he's literally his job is to go out there and bang you up, beat you up, and that's it. And like you know, he's he's had, I think, tremendous uh, benefits from psychedelics and cannabis as well. And I think just for them to open up and tell people what they're suffering from and what they're dealing with, it's hard for all of these guys, whether it be football, hockey, basketball, golf, tennis. These guys are under tremendous pressure. And, you know, like every day they, you miss, you miss a shot. You've got 20 million people on Twitter and Instagram, just tearing you to shreds. Right. right? And not everybody, not like a regular person is never going to have to deal with that. Like, I mean, if you like, well, I mean, you can see it right now. If you have a, a, an adolescent kid who has to deal with, you know, peer pressures and bullies and stuff online, some of them don't know how to deal with that. And then they turn to being depressed. They turn to suicide. They turn to all these kind of negative things because they don't want to, I guess, I don't know what, I don't know what they don't want to do, but I, and my, my thought process is, is the fear of going and seeking help, right? is kind of the big thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I um you know and, and I think that that is if I could if I could piggyback onto that, I, I the topic of masks, the topic of peer pressure, the talk the topic of anxiety, depression, all these small things that daily happen to us that begin blocking our way or or making us think a different way. You know, it seems to me that a lot of the profound effects that come from psychedelics are, are the ideas of you seeing yourself in a different way. Hopefully that's an, a more honest way. Hopefully that's a, a different outlook or a different understanding of who you are. But that's what leads you to solve your own problems. It seems to me that that one thing that's so profound about psychedelics is the understanding that comes with it. And it takes time to process. Like if you have a big trip and you go, you know what? <sighs> I probably shouldn't kick my cat. You know, I don't think he likes that. It makes me feel a little good. First of all, I don't kick my cat. But, you know, I, I think people have this understanding like, oh, God, I don't know why I was doing that. What the hell is wrong with me? Why would I do that? But it's, it's, it's maybe it's this lifetime of being put into a world where we're forced to go to work for 10 hours. Maybe it's this education system where we're not really taught about real history, but we're taught about someone's idea of history. Maybe all this psychosis and all this mental illness and all this depression and all these societal ailments have just been the world stacking up on us for 10, 15, 20 years. And if you look at, it seems that psychosis for people begin to really establish themselves in the teenage years. And Think about how much repression has gone through. By the time you're a teenager, man, you've put up with a lot of crap, especially if you came from a broken home or, you know, if you had one parent that was maybe an alcoholic or, you know, you, it just seems to me that psychedelics, and this is, I'm not a psychologist like that, but it seems that psych psychedelics tend to put us in a position where we see ourselves as part of nature. And I'm curious, like, what, what is your take on the idea of that spiritual nature? It seems that we've, 
and I'm not a particularly religious person, but it seems that psychedelics have a spiritual component to it. And that spiritual component helps relieve a lot of the stress. You know, whether you're a, a enforcer in hockey or whether you're George, the UPS driver, or you're Anthony, the serial entrepreneur. What, what is your take with the relationship between spirituality and psychedelics? Yeah, I think there's definitely like a spiritual kind of element there because it allows you to, I guess, step back and kind of see things from like a broad view. You know, it's almost like, yeah. uh, how can I say it? It's like, uh, it's almost like if you were like playing like Grand Theft Auto and you're seeing everything around you in like uh, like third person view, like you're away from the situation, you can see everything, you kind of know what's going on, you can slowly kind of break it down. Um, depending on how much mushrooms you take, like the, the <laughs> things are more uh, intensified, and right. that'll be just simply from looking at like a glass of water. You feel like you can see the molecules in it. Yeah, you can see the H two O like actually there. You can see these elements. You can hear, you can hear and see the sound more vibrant, more colors, colors are more vibrant, and that kind of thing. So, I definitely think there's a, a spirituality there as well because you'll see. Uh, People, not that I'm like very religious, uh, I think I'm more spiritual than religious, but you'll yeah. see people in religion a lot of time, and that's their spirituality, but they get some kind of, uh, I guess, a uh, outer body experience from, you know, like I'm sure you've seen some guy pass sure. through the person and then the person shaking on the ground and <laughs> they had like a revelation. So I think that there, there's definitely the same kind of kind of thing with psychedelics and i think that there's i think to what v was saying earlier some people yeah. feel it through psychedelics some people see it through religion some people maybe find that through art it just really i guess is finding your kind of uh your way to 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 i guess find and seek enlightenment i guess would be the right term to to yeah. say yeah i think that's that's really what it is so whatever whatever brings people that that sense of enlightenment and and that's what it is for for some people it's psilocybin like I, I can't remember exactly but there's like a buddhist a buddhist statue and he's it's in the royal museum in ontario in in uh toronto and it's crazy that he has like all these things like he has like all these like different articles on him uh it's like a statue and one of the things is a mushroom. He has, a, like, a, one of the things he has on him is a mushroom. I, I can't remember what the statue's called. But it was just really interesting to me that this Buddhist statue from, I don't know, thousands of years ago, you know, they have all of these kind of life teachers. And one of the things he has is, is a mushroom. So I think it's definitely spiritual because it uh, has very similar, very similar effects and in, 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 things that I've heard very religious people speak about, then that's kind of, I think majority of people, when they think spirituality, they think religion, but there's obviously another level of spirituality. But I think that the same effects that religion has on people and the enlightenment and the, 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 you know, the, the never ending quest to find God and praise God. I think there's the same thing that people feel in around psychedelics. Like they've had such life changing experiences yeah that they start to, you know, all hail psychedelics. Like they're just, they're gung ho on it. And they're, so I think it's the same thing. It's definitely, definitely spiritual, definitely spiritual. Yeah. I, I like the way you said that. I, and uh, I, I wish we had a better connection with V cause I, he, guy's totally brilliant. And I love what the guy's talking about. And I, I, 
Another question I, I'm curious, and maybe maybe we'll have some more. Maybe we can have more conversations later. We can get everybody back yeah, on. But one of the, one sure. of the ideas I was thinking about was, you know, we have all these neurotransmitters in our brain, and they all you know, like you had serotonin and dopamine, and they all fulfill these different roles. You know, in in a theory that I have, it seems to me that psilocybin might that be just a like an endogenous neurotransmitter that we haven't had, and like. Because I get this feeling, and I've had other people tell me something similar. After taking a relatively large dose of psychedelics, it's like, oh, everything makes sense now. And there's this sense of well-being that tends to come the day after, the sense of clarity, the sense of like, okay, now I feel like I've figured some things out. And that almost seems to fulfill the role of a neurotransmitter. And if there, when we talk about spirituality and religion, one thing to me that those things do for people is it grounds them. It makes people understand that there's something bigger than themselves. And it seems to me that, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, when I take mushrooms, I feel like I talking to the planet. I feel like I'm talking to God. I feel like I'm talking to someone bigger than me. And it almost, this is probably going to sound a little bit crackpot, but it seems to me that you can understand the environment you're in when you were taking, especially mushrooms, you know, and it's just so fantastic to me to, to learn about the way in which mushrooms move nutrients around roots to way in which they, they move energy from plant A to plant B. And like, why wouldn't it be the same thing that's happening in your brain structure that's happening in a root system? Like what, you know, and I know this is fantastical, but there's all kinds of literature written about this in different books. And I, I, I think that there's a real connection between the earth and ingesting mushrooms in your understanding of your environment. Does that sound too crazy, Anthony? No, I think, I think <laughs> you're, I think you're like, uh, like right on, like, right. Like my, mycelium is like, it's yeah. the big connector, right? Like it's the yes. big connector. And I think it's like when you, the same way that, uh, you know, I, th I think it's, where's the biggest thing? I think it's in Oregon, like that biggest stuff. Uh, like life thing of mycelium the same way that that you when you take psychedelics like i've seen i don't know if you've seen the picture but i think it might be the john hopkins picture where they show like the the, yep. the activity in the brain right like it just goes it's like day and yep. night so there's yeah. definitely something there that uh that's creating more kind of neuro neurological kind of activity um with the with the psychedelics and i think you see that and you know that it's definitely doing something neurologically and psychologically to people when you see the addiction, right? Like when people, yes. when there's a lifetime alcoholic drinker or a lifetime cigarette smoker, or an opioid addict even who does, you know, one, two, three, four sessions of psychedelics. And it's like, not all of them maybe, maybe uh, quit, but the, the, the success rate of, of the uh, people who relapse is way, 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 way better than like the traditional approach. I think like for alcohol, alcohol anonymous, I think they got like five or five or seven percent success rate for people who go through that program. Whereas studies they've done with psilocybin, they've had after 24 months, 67 percent of the subjects don't go back to drinking alcohol. And like each each month, it's like I think it was like month month three was like 89 percent. And then it just slowly goes like got a little lower, but the the twenty four month mark, sixty seven percent of the people cold turkey stop drinking alcohol. So there's definitely something that is doing to your brain receptors, kind of like hit that reset button. Like I I don't I don't need this substance. I like don't need this anymore. 
it's doing something. It's either resetting your brain or reprogramming yeah. your brain or just doing something to give you that spiritual enlightenment to take a step back and really see what you're doing to yourself, you know, like, yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely, pull, I pull, I pull a look at it. I don't know. So this is going to be this way. I think. Yeah. That's the, that's the exact picture. That's the one. So you can see like it's day and night, like after I, I think, and I believe it's from psilocybin that one. And, uh, the, uh, yeah. the, the brain activity and connectivity is crazy. I mean, you don't have to be, I think any 10 year old kid can explain like these two pictures. Well, one <laughs> has a lot more lines than the other and you don't, you don't, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to know like, okay, well, this is definitely doing something. Right. Yeah. And it, it, you know, if you, if we were just spitballing here, like how much more thoughts do you think you're having in one? Are you having more in, in, you know, in the one with all the connections or are you having, you know, more thoughts with the least connections? You know, it seems to me that, you know, that that's where the idea of synesthesia comes when you're starting to process visual information in Broca's area, you're starting to process, you know, uh, sounds in the visual cortex and like, what comes of that? Like, talk about imagination. Talk about reinventing the world in a way that is original. Like, how can you have, how can you create a, a better environment unless you begin to have different types of thoughts? And in some ways, I think that's exactly what's happening. And maybe I can ask you this. You've been all around the world. You've, you've seen different cultures. You've played in different parts of the world. Is there something similar about the ideas of psychedelics in all the parts of the world that you've been to? Uh, similar about psychedelics. I think that I've rarely heard people talk about negative effects. I mean, I've heard people say they've had negative effects, but the, the similarity, I think, is just definitely in the spirituality. I think that's really the, the, big, the big similarity, right? Like, people... Right. People don't know what inside of them was awoken, but it, it awoke something to them. It gave them a new spark. I think that's kind of the similarity I've seen, like across the the like everybody that I spoke to globally who's indulged or participated or taken psychedelics or seen even people, even even people who haven't taken psychedelics and they've witnessed people taking it, they've seen the drastic change in, in their lives. So I think that's a big yeah thing there yeah i i think that you know it's it, it definitely has a an ability to reach across borders and it has an ability to reach across cultures and an ability to reach across you know different sort of small-mindedness that that people can hang on to and and develops an environment where people can grow and think and be free from a lot of constraints. And I think that's a big part of it. It's just the constraints that most people are under. When we look at our lifestyle today, you know, you wake up at five, you make breakfast for your kids or you maybe people work out and they go to work and then they, you know, by the time they get home, some people are so burned out that, you know, they don't even have time to spend with their family. And, you know, it's what kind of a life is that? And I think that the beginning to experiment with psychedelics is the beginning of you starting your own journey, figuring out, Hey, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? What am I happy about? But yeah, yeah. reevaluating. Re I'm having an absolute yes. Yeah, please. Reevaluating what's important to you, you know, and like what do you what do you really want out of life? Do you want to work at like because a perfect example is like me, like you know, like I'm here. I I I 
I could get a traditional kind of job and like make my mom happy, get all the bills paid on time and everything, but I'm just <laughs> driven to, I want to live my own dream. I don't want to live somebody else's dream. And I think that's something that psychedelics kind of helped me realize. I don't, I don't, uh, and I think everybody wants to live their own dream. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But I think it's one thing to, to say it. And then another thing to manifest it and like take the necessary steps and, and, you know, willing to take the, uh, the, the, the leap forward. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of just have to do. And 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 I think a good way for psychedelics for people, I think it'll be microdosing. For a lot of people who are yeah. not hip to it, not privy to it, I think don't definitely don't don't go with your buddy who's been taking it forever and take seven grams or fourteen grams with him because <laughs> uh, you'll never want to do it again, and you might yeah. even induce psychosis, right? So I think just for anybody, I would say start small, start low, and and gradually go from there. Yeah, James Fademan wrote a great book called The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. I'll put it in the show notes because people can go. And he actually did a really good survey from that book where you read the book and it just told you about microdosing. And then it, it offered you a website where you could go and plug in, hey, I'm taking, you know, uh, an eighth of a gram every third day. Here's what I found about it. Or some people are taking smaller doses. Some people are taking a little bit bigger doses. Some do it every day. But he broke it down onto his website and you can see like this, this character arc of people's lives changing. And I think it's a great way for people who are curious to start, you know, maybe start by reading something. Maybe start by looking at what you want in your life or keeping a journal. But once you begin microdosing, I think the lights begin to kind of pop on for you. And you start to see a little bit, maybe a filter gets moved across your eyes and things become a little bit more clear. So. I would agree that microdosing is a great way to begin your journey if it's something that you are curious about. And let me be clear, neither Anthony nor I are advocating people to go out and, and do any sort of psychedelics or something like that. But yeah. if you if you want to do it and you want to investigate it, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. The wrong way is to jump in and you know hit up the strip club with seven grams and just tear it up. Like you definitely don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, there's no shame in grabbing a book and going online and doing some research and figuring out what's right for you. So treat it like swimming. If you can't swim, you're not going to want to jump into the ocean. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, you don't want to. You want to go maybe into the kiddie pool and and go from there. You know, where you're like knee high. And uh, yeah. to take it from there, I don't think that. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of people do, right? They just want. I I just want to find the shortcut, and I just want right. to clarity on everything. I hear all this hype in the media. So right away, like I don't have time for microdosing. I just want the ego death. What? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I think, and that's, that's like, and it's just, um, I think just educating people over time. And that's kind of the big, the big kind of missing key thing with the psilocybin. I think the data, a lot of data is missing. Uh, people need to be educated. There's a lot of, he say, she say, there's no real proof behind it or, you know, nobody, nobody really knows. So there's still a, a lot to go. I think we're still in the infancy stage and it's, it's hard to go and tell people do this or do that or, or what to do. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's why, that's why, like I said, for us, we just focused on what we know. And that's like making comp like from the cannabis, we just transferred over making compounds, pure compounds, that people can dose accurately, ethically, and it's like trans, there's just full level of transparency. So that's what we kind of wanted to bring to the industry. 
and uh, you know grow with the industry and create a new standard. I think I don't, I don't see why you should microdose and not know the tryptamine content. You know, like okay, you're taking point one of this golden teacher tryptamine content is 0.7 or 0.8 percent it's really seems pretty simple to me or you're microdosing uh penis envy and that one is 1.3 percent and you're taking 0.1 or you're taking less than 0.1 because you want your dose to be the same as what you're taking with the golden teacher yeah i can't underscore that enough anthony and i'm 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 so stoked to talk to you and dr v like if you know in the world of microdosing, it's probably the it's majority of guys like me that are like, okay, I'm going to take a quarter of this cap. What about this cap and this stem? The stem probably has a lot less than this cap over here, but just because it's the same size doesn't mean it's the same tryptamine content. I could be getting double the dose in this thing over here. So, how do you manage what you don't measure? Like you, you have you should really have to work with the ideas that Anthony and Doctor V are beginning to standardize like that. Like, why wouldn't it be? these similar amount like how else can you manage what you don't measure yeah and, and the other thing too is like i think it's is it niacine there's like a filler that they put in a lot of the uh the microdosing so if you take too much of the niacine maybe not for me but if you have a little less melanin in your skin you'll turn bloodshot mm. red like i've seen people you totally take do. too much and they just start turning red like they have an allergic reaction an mm. overdose to it so it's even that like why are they why can't it be complemented, like your microdose be complemented with other mushrooms ground up in there, like lion's yes. bane and these kind of mushrooms as well, or just something that's not going to be toxic to you? <laughs> like, you know, like, why does it have to be, like, why are there always these shortcuts? Even in cannabis, like, uh, to V's point earlier with the vaporizers, a lot of people are taking the vapes and they're cutting it with these different oils and stuff, giving kids popcorn lungs and different mm. flavor, flavorings and all these things. I think that's that's the biggest thing. There's no... It's not even, it's just capitalism. There's no level, yeah, of, there's no efficacy. There's no efficacy in what you're doing. Your only thing is profits, right? So if your only That's thing it. is profits right away, then you shouldn't be maybe making psilocybin for people. You shouldn't open up uh, a dispensary or anything like that, selling psilocybin or growing psilocybin or producing it for anybody. If your only aspiration is profits, don't get me wrong. We're all in business to make money, but you know, I'm putting people before profits here. Like I'm trying to, trying to just usher in a new era, right? Where people are like, okay, like when they go to buy your microdose from somebody, they're going to be like, okay, well, you know, they're more educated. What's the tryptamine content of what's in there? And if you can't tell that person, that consumer, then I would hope they would go and buy from another guy or somebody who can actually tell them what's in there or just, just some level of standardization. There's just, it just seems a little bit too uh, wild, wild west. And I think that's, uh, that could that can have a lot of negative effects on the industry in this kind yeah. of infancy stage, right? Like if the right politician's kid goes out and takes psilocybin and gets wrecked, it'll never be legal in a, one country or a jurisdiction or a state or a province or somewhere, right? It just takes one bad right. apple to ruin it for everybody. Right. Yeah. Hopefully we find that kid and give him a good apple. Cause that could change it in that particular way too. You know, I, I, you know what, as you were talking about doses, what have you guys figured out at, at Entheogen Biotech? Like, what is a, a dose? Is it a standard dose? Or, I mean, have you guys figured out the dosing regimen? Is it, you know, does it come in a liquid? I know you guys have an NDA, you, you can't talk about it, but, you know, well, is, is, there, have, is it a liquid in a drop? So we have liquid, we have liquid forms of psilocybin and psilocine that we've isolated. 
Uh, we've also we've also just have like the regular dried mushrooms. We uh, once we harvest them, we either freeze dry them right away, or we'll uh, put them in a vacuum oven and dry them. So they're like they're like not brown and like black like traditional mushrooms you get. It's like <laughs> perfect white, looks clean and consistent. The powder that 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 you that creates and how the mushrooms dry and form, um, as well as the what other forms do we have it in? We have full fruit body. We have a liquid kind of driplet that we've discovered. Uh, we have the, that would be the concentrate. And the, yeah, that, that's it. Really, those are the two traditional ways. And then as well as producing it in the in the bioreactor. But that's, uh, that's more about just growing in a sterile environment than, yeah. than anything. It's not really per se about the extraction qualities or extraction techniques. It's just a sterile environment. But yeah, so we have the concentrates in, in driplets and droplets and uh, powdered and grounded up mushrooms right now. And for the for the bioreactor to produce psilocybin, um, yeah, it's just a matter of the, the, the mycelium we bred and the hormones and enzymes that we feed it. Uh, in the bioreactor itself. I'm not sure if you got a chance to look at the video. It's just a two-minute video, but you can see the mycelium growing in there, and uh, we, you can see, like, the enzymes and stuff. We feed it, and, yeah, that's that's kind of our unique, I think, uh, advantage right now. Yeah. As well as our yeah. testing capabilities, because we, we developed right. new testing capabilities with HPLC machines and QNMR machines to test psilocybin, as well as at home kit that you can test with but it's only oh nice up to two percent so that's something we're looking to bring to market so what we're looking to really bring to market right away globally outside of jamaica would be our test kits and it's only up to two percent psilocybin and uh spores if we can right now as far as i see i'm like all these all these mushroom banks they're selling spores and liquid culture across international borders and everywhere so I yeah. think it's a, a market that we can enter as well and yeah, sell our spores with uh, with tryptamine content so you know what you're getting wow, in, in that yeah. spore when you purchase it. And then that's uh, the spores are a little bit different than the liquid culture. Liquid culture is harder to produce but more consistent, whereas the, uh, the spores will, I guess, after each flush, it'll be kind of less and less and less potent. So that's something we'd have to kind of... Uh, run maybe like four flushes and be like, hey, after fourth flush, this will be your tryptamine content. Uh, whereas the liquid culture, that'll stay consistent for every every run you do. Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it because uh, I think spores in the United States are, are legal. It's only the fruiting body that is yeah. illegal, which it's most places, to think about. Most places, that's what's legal. Like you can go any city right now, I'm sure in Canada or the States, and just type in, mushrooms mushrooms colorado or mushrooms denver and there'll be there'll be a website i'm sure and they're selling spores they're selling home (laughs) grow home kits they're selling liquid culture and some of them might even be selling like dmt vapes and and dried mushrooms as well like so it's the wild wild west out there you know so we're hoping uh hoping to um just bring a bring a just a level of clarity for people so it's not so it's not so uh, just up in the air what you're taking. Like I know I don't I don't know anybody who likes to take that like do things like that. You know you want to know what you're ingesting for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's revolutionary the ability to understand the the tryptamine content in there like that. That's bringing clarity and bringing transparency to everybody around it. You know whether you're the person taking it, whether you're the person administering it. 
And in some ways, it's making it a lot safer. You know, if, if you know exactly what you're administering, then I think that you're you're being responsible and you're being looking out for everybody involved. I'm, I'm just I'm just stoked for you guys, man. Thanks for doing it. It's a cool yeah. thing. No, I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, no, it's just honestly, it was just a gap we saw that was missing. I was like, I was asking people, I was like, listen, like I take you take one set of I took five grams here and five grams there. This one's a dud, and this one I was on the moon. So like, yeah, uh, there's obviously something there wrong, and I think that's kind of how it started. And then as we started breeding everything, it was just like, how do we separate ourselves from the competition, right? Like even if we can say. Maybe we can't tell you that it has 1% tryptamine, but if we can tell you that it has 0.7 to 1%, like that range, yeah. that's even better than what's out there. There's not even a, most people are just going to give you a, throw a number at you and be like, yeah, man, that's it. Yeah. So I think you if bring up can... a... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, and if, you know, like, like you had brought up, you know, if, if someone's buying, let's say you, you buy from a certain guy and one month you get, you know, albino penis envies here and okay that's about i should take about three grams of this and then you know next week you get another one but that comes from another flush that could be a complete different even though it's the same sort of it's the same it's different man the content has gone way down that's a great point yeah yeah so you'll need more or you're gonna need like yeah so yeah it's just hard to it's hard to um i think it's just education people don't know about it yeah. i think they're not privy to it they're not hip to it so i think just like with cannabis, more and more people know, you'll get more and more people asking questions, more and more people asking, oh, is this an indica or a, a hybrid? And then, you know, like you'll get people going to mushroom dispensaries and be like, oh, like how much psilocin is in this? Because, you know, like I want to, I want the onset to be in 15 minutes or 20 minutes versus an hour. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I think it's just a matter of educating people, letting them, I don't even think most people know like how many compounds are in mushrooms or know like, what psilocin is versus psilocybin and like you know just little things like that they just know i just want to get ripped <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great point it's a great point anthony as we're getting close to landing the plane here man have we have we is there anything else that we should cover that we haven't covered uh no i mean we've been talking a lot about a bunch of different yeah. things uh I don't know. I mean, we're like like Intagen Biotech, we're here in Jamaica, we're we're a Canadian company, subsidiary uh, Canadian company with a Jamaican subsidiary where we do our operations. Um, and we're, we're wide open for collaborations, um, investments and partnerships. And, you know, we're looking to collaborate and keep growing and, and, um, and make a difference. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Like for, for me, um, you may not know, but like my big thing for, for my cannabis company was, uh, you know, people, people before profits. And I wanted to be like the, you're American. So like the Dunkin' Donuts, like I wanted to have that national, <laughs> yeah. national approach. Like, you know, like I think when you think when you're an American, you think or if, if you're in Canada and you think I want coffee, you're going to Tim Hortons. If you're in America and you want coffee, you're thinking Dunkin' Donuts. If you're in Jamaica and you ask for a cold beer, they're going to bring you a red stripe. <laughs> so like I want that to be the same same principle like for for my cannabis company and for my psilocybin company like you know when when um when a uh when a person wants uh, a spliff or a joint they're gonna look for my cannabis company which is called herbs uh which stands for health education and research of botanical sciences and uh for the mushroom for the mushroom thing uh side of it we decided to go with um uh, the name, Theogen Biotech is like our kind of R&D kind of 
uh, name um, as far as commercializing and taking the market and where we're going to be selling microdosing and um, full doses to consumers in Jamaica is uh, that company. We're going to call it uh, um, positive mojo. So like plus sign mojo. Yeah, that's it. And uh, so, and then our slogan is it's unique. Uh, v is actually the one who, who found it. Uh, so Junju is a, uh, it's mold. It's like a colloquial term in Jamaica for mold. So like our slogan is going to be Junju equals positive mojo. So and that's it. And uh, yeah, man. I love it's, it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, V. He was the one who looked it up. He's like, because uh, um, like I was saying before, we went to St. Vincent's. My mom's from there. And they call mushrooms. Because mushrooms in general in the Caribbean have a negative condensation. They don't, mm. they don't eat them per se. Like culturally. Like I said, junju is like the word for mushrooms, and it's it's mold. That's what it means, mildew. Uh, in my mom's country, they call them jumbie umbrellas, which jumbie is a ghost and an umbrella, you know. So it's like they have negative condensations, right? Like it's mold, it's a ghost. It's like people people don't want to take mushrooms because of the effects that it has on people, right? They know about it, and uh, so... So I think that there's a little bit of a cultural barrier there for for us, but I think it's just again just educating people, getting them hip to it. And Jamaica is a pretty trendy place; they follow trends and follow what's happening in the outside world. Uh, there's a Starbucks with a lineup out the door every day, which just <laughs> blows my mind that people are spending seven, eight dollars on coffee when you know the minimum wage in Jamaica is maybe like eighty bucks a week. Hundred bucks a wow. week, US, and and you're willing to spend six, seven, eight bucks and up on, on a coffee, but it happens, and I think they follow the trends of the world, right? Like a lot of people, yeah. even a lot of questions I've been asked about Jamaica is like the cannabis, like aren't you scared of the the guy selling weed on the street or this guy? But most Jamaicans, they want to do what they see happening in the u.s and abroad they see people abroad going to dispensaries we want to go to dispensaries too like we don't want to buy it from the the rum bar or the little rasta man on the corner we want to go in the dispensary have that full experience and do what we see people doing abroad so i think that um they'll 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 come to it and become hip to it and uh, i think it's uh focusing on the the kind of the the generation that i think is most affected by mental health and mental illness or kind of everybody who's on social media. So the young kids, right? Like anywhere from university kids all the way to like, let's say like 18, 19 all to like 35 is kind of where we're looking to kind of change their minds in Jamaica and get them hipped and turned on to it. I think anybody who's maybe 50 and over, they're not going to be taking mushrooms, but maybe, maybe of Jamaican descent, don't get me wrong. I think people in North America are more educated, hip, privy to it, but it's, it's slowly coming. And yeah, man, I, I look forward to everything that's to come. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I said a lot. I've been talking a lot, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's good. I think you have an opportunity to take Jamaica from a place that maybe has been following trends to become a trendsetter. You know, and I love the idea yeah. of people first. It's it's something that I think runs deep through the psychedelic community. I think it's something that's positive. And I think talking to you and Dr. V today comes through in, in the words you guys are saying, the ideas that you have. I think you're building a better community using entheogens. And it, I'm stoked to talk to you. I'm stoked that people are out there like you and Dr. V doing these things, bringing awareness and bringing transparency to the tryptamine content is it's revolutionary man and i hope everybody that watches this 
or listens to this podcast is able to reach out and ask questions or can go to you guys and, and collaborate or talk to you because you guys are doing good stuff. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. And yeah, anybody who wants to reach out, feel free. We'll general questions, collaborations. We're, we're, we're wide open. And I think, uh, I think I look forward to what we're going to be able to do in Jamaica. It's revolutionary. It's going to be changing it from a, uh, I think uh, right now I would say like it's medical tourism around the retreats and stuff like that to being just full on medical. Like, you know, like we're respected in a medical aspect for producing psilocybin of said quality with said standards and, you know, certain things. And, and I, I don't see why it can happen. There's already been Canadian companies who exported psilocybin from Jamaica to Canada for their studies or whatever they're trying to do. So it's not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel here. Um, it's doable, obtainable. And uh, yeah, it's just a matter of time and the right, the right people and partners in place. And I think we can do tremendously great things. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, before I let you go, where, one more time, where can people find you and you got any gigs coming up? Uh, no gigs coming up, but, uh, you can find me, uh, you can find us, um, in theogenbiotech.ca. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Anthony Bailey. I'm going to look a little different. I have my long dreads, but I recently cut them. Uh, and you can find V online. I'm sure if you search just Anthony Bailey and Theogen, you'll see we've, we've got some articles out there. We've got videos on YouTube. Like we're trying to make everything that we're doing pretty public, even around like, um, the studies we want to conduct, like the next one we're looking to do is a microdosing and alcohol study. Like we want to record these people. We want to put it on YouTube. We want to make it viral. You know, like I want to make people know what's going on, see what's going on. And because we can, like we, we have the ability to do it because of the jurisdiction we're working and operating out of. We don't have to hide behind what we're doing. We don't need any government body to, to give us permission. We don't, we don't need anything. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the future. Yeah, you should be. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for participating. Thanks for taking some time to listen to us. Especially thank you to Anthony and Dr. V for them and their hard work today. Um, this podcast is an absolute blast. I had a great time talking to you guys. And that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.